1: Radio Real Estate Show. Our expert from REMAX Prime Properties is Asif Khan. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. And we're going to get right into it this week, Tina. We've
2: got a busy show ahead. And joining us is Simona Zaslavsky from Mayfair Law Group. Simona, welcome back to On the Market. Thank you,
3: Asif. And hello, Tina.
2: So much going on with tenants, isn't there? Uh, we wanted to get your opinion on a, a story that came out earlier this month about a landlord suing their tenant and the City of Toronto and Airbnb for something that the tenant did. Tell us a little bit more about this story.
3: There has been so much happening, actually, specifically about Airbnb, and this is a really interesting story. Uh, The landlord in Toronto is suing, like you said, the tenants, the City of Toronto and Airbnb for $1.6 million dollars. And the issue is, is that in, I believe it was July 1st, 2022, the landlord rented it out to these two tenants, and the tenants had, in return, listed the property on Airbnb as if it was their own, and they rented it out over 30 times. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so, so shocking. Yeah. No, they, they profited. They profited big time uh, from a property that was not theirs. And beyond that, it's against the condo corporation rules for them to have done it. So the landlord is kind of sitting here saying, where was everybody? looking when this was happening because when you do this you apply to the city of toronto for a government document it's a short-term rental so they issued it to these two people who are not the owners then airbnb went ahead and listed it on their website and they profited as well just as much so the landlord's the only one who really didn't benefit
1: now, would Airbnb know that this condo, this property, was being basically sublet, or would they assume that the tenants were the owners? Is there any sort of safeguard or, or checks that way that should be happening or maybe didn't happen in this case?
3: So interesting enough, Airbnb... The question is with Airbnb, how do they really screen who the landlords are? Mm -hmm. Is it enough that they got this City of Toronto government document that assumed these were the landlords and just went with it, right? And they were advised of this in March. The landlord had advised Airbnb, hey, this is my place. And they did not take it down. And then when the city responded to the landlord saying, well, you know, the landlord said, what's the problem? Why did you rent this? Why did you issue this to the tenants?" They pretty much said, we just don't have the resources. And that seems to be a common answer when it comes to landlord and tenants.
2: Don't have the resources. And it's a pretty simple check, isn't it? All you have to do is check land registry to see who the legal owner is, and you'd be able to find out even if you had someone dedicating maybe five minutes to the application that these were not the owners
3: of course and this is what we do realtors uh uh, lawyers when it comes to real estate we check to see who are the owners who is on title it's it's really not that not that difficult and simona is this happening more often than not these days So it is happening more often than not, and there will probably be a larger influx of these types of claims that are going to come in, which may make Airbnb and the city revisit the rules. There's also actually something very interesting that had come out uh, not too long ago. It was a decision specifically about Airbnb. And usually when you look at who is a tenant and who is not, Anybody who stays for over 28 days in the Residential Tenancies Act is supposed to be considered a tenant. But a recent decision came out from the Landlord and Tenant Board saying that long-term Airbnb guests are not going to be covered under the Ontario legislation for the Residential Tenancies Act. So this is something new. These are there's a lot of new stuff that's coming out, decisions and claims that may start changing you know, the environment and the structure of how things are being done for Airbnb specifically.
2: And so most tenants will have tenant insurance, which doesn't really cover much except for their belongings. What would have happened if there was a fire with one of these Airbnb clients being in the place or theft or anything like that? What would happen in terms of liability?
3: that would be falling under the landlord's insurance because they would be required to have insurance for their unit specifically.
1: Can you can you take a guess here where do you think the court is going to land on on this case and what do you think the decision might be?
3: I think that everyone is going to start looking at liability and everyone is going to start looking at pointing fingers to one another. So the city is blaming the condo, specifically the property managers, and Airbnb is, of course, going to blame the city. So it, it will be in the courts for quite some time, in my opinion. It will be in there for a couple of years. What will come out of it, I mean, we can really guess, but I think the landscape of how screening of Airbnb tenants and landlords happen will change.
2: And would there be a fraudulent case here that the landlord could go to the police because the tenants misrepresented themselves as landlords? And would the Airbnb company be involved in that fraudulent case because they benefited from the proceeds of that fraudulent activity?
3: Possibly. That's possibly part of the issued statement of claim. We haven't had a chance to actually read the statement of claim, nor has there been any defences put in yet from any of the defendants. But that is definitely an avenue that could happen, yes.
1: And just switching gears a bit here, Simona, what's happening at the Landlord-Tenant Board? Um, Is there still a backlog there, and is that causing, you know, obviously other issues uh, these days in terms of situations for landlords and tenants?
3: Unfortunately, today nothing has changed. Oh. The backlogs are still at six to eight months in terms of hearings, um, orders. N- nothing is different at- today, as we speak.
2: And-, and with that being said, Simona, how would this situation fall under the LTB? Are-, are the landlords able to evict these tenants because of the fraudulent activity, or? do they also have to go through the the channels that the LTB has set out?
3: Specifically, I'm not sure what happened in this case, whether these two tenants are still living there or not. The article alludes to them not being there anymore, but this would be something that the landlord would have to apply to the board and wait her turn like everybody else, unfortunately.
1: What's your message for landlords and tenants right
3: now? just
1: considering the current climate?
3: I will always stick by the same thing. Talk to each other, be involved. I'm not going to assume that this landlord and those tenants didn't speak to each other for X amount of months, but I always advocate the same thing. Keep an open relationship, keep an honest relationship, keep in touch, check in every couple of months. Uh, That's the only way to have full disclosure on both sides at all times. If the landlord had checked in, maybe she would have known. Who knows? Really, who knows? But I always say the same thing. Keep an open line of communication and make sure both parties are present in each other's lives because that's really how it is. You are you a part of each other's lives. Hmm.
2: Yeah, and we saw a few weeks ago the interest rates went up again, which is putting a lot more pressure on landlords, especially when the tenants aren't paying or if the tenants are refusing to leave, is there any relief in sight? Do you see that this situation is going to get better with the delays at the LTB, or is it pretty stagnant or getting worse?
3: The situation is pretty stagnant. Nothing has really changed today. I actually got a phone call this morning from a tenant who was advised that he would have to be leaving the house because the landlord is looking to move in himself. And there are two tenants, in the basement unit specifically and the other tenant who lives there was sent a text message advised that he is going to be moving into a new room and the landlord's going to be renovating another room to obviously re-rent it for more money because things are getting more expensive now, obviously, he's lied about why he's getting rid of one of the tenants, and that is a big no-no. And we're going to, unfortunately, have to be fighting for the tenant at the board because we represent both landlords and tenants. But this is a reason of why landlords, not a right reason, but this is what it's made them do. They, they have to pay out of their own pockets. They're becoming desperate. So they're kind of ignoring the rules. Mm.
2: And some of our our landlords and tenants that are listening right now need more information or need your help, how do they get a hold of you?
3: We can be reached at uh, www.mayfairlawgroup.com or on our Instagram page, just send me a DM and consultations are always free. I try to do everything I can for landlords and tenants to avoid paying anything out of pocket.
2: Thanks so much for joining us and we look forward to having you on again.
3: Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure.
1: After the break, is overbidding over? Not in all areas of York Region. That report is next. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him 416 985 Khan. That's 416 985 5426. Or email osif at thehomeshop.ca. Now back to On the Market on 1059 The Region.
1: Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's radio real estate show. Over to my co host and a real estate expert. Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties with today's next guest, Asif.
4: Thank you, Tina. Joining us is Wahi's CEO, Benji Kachin. Benji, welcome back to On the Market. Thank you. Benji, there's so much going on with the market. There's there's underbids and overbids, and there's different areas that are getting multiple offers. There's some pockets that aren't. And you have the updated stats for underbid and overbid areas. Tell us a little bit more.
5: Absolutely. Uh, So we just run the numbers for the month of June 2023, and 62% of the GTA neighborhoods that we analyzed are in overbidding territory. It's down a little bit from 68% the month before uh, in May, but still a significant percentage of the neighborhoods in the GTA are overbid right now.
1: And why do you think there are still these overbidding neighbourhoods out there, Benji?
5: Well, I think it's a combination of two factors. I think that sellers are being realistic in those neighbourhoods for prices that they're listing their house at or even often trying to spark a bidding war by underpricing versus true value for their properties. And at the same time, there are still many buyers uh, that uh, either have cash in hand or they have financing and are placing bids uh, on those neighbourhoods. So as a result, uh, those neighbourhoods are overbid.
4: And over the last few months, inventory was really tight. We are looking at some areas that only had one month of inventory or two months of inventory. Do you think the increase in supply is helping some of those areas get back into underbidding territory?
5: I still think that the market is challenged with inventory. In the month of June, we saw inventory levels creep up a little bit from the month of May, but I think that supply is still the greatest challenge uh, in this market right now.
1: And how does this summer compare to last summer?
5: Well, uh, the summer's just getting going, so it's uh, a little bit uh, early to tell. What I would say, though, is transaction volume in June was similar to what we saw in June 2022. However, this June from a transaction volume perspective, it's still down 20 to 25% from a typical June if we look back over four or five years.
4: And what do you see happening in York Region, Benji? I know when we looked at it last time, York Region seemed to lead the way for overbid areas. Is that trend continuing?
5: Uh, Absolutely, Asif. Uh, As we looked at the, we analyzed 400 neighborhoods in the GTA And any one of those neighbourhoods that has over five transactions makes uh, our test of what we analyse. And this month, four out of five of the top overbidding neighbourhoods in the GTA are in York Region. That's a consistent trend that we've talked about over several months, and that trend certainly continues in the month of June.
1: All right, so four out of five are right here in York Region. Can you name them for us?
5: Absolutely. So uh, we have Victoria Square in Markham, Berksie Village in Markham, which seems to be in the overbidding category every single month that I look at the numbers, uh, and uh, Rouge Woods in Richmond Hill. uh, And I apologize, it's actually three out of five. The other two are Broadview North in Toronto and Bickford Park in Toronto and for those people for our listeners that are
4: looking for a deal or and, and you know a deal is it's it's all perception right and if they're thinking that they can underbid where would they be looking
5: well the top underbid neighborhoods that we're seeing i wouldn't necessarily call them neighborhoods with the biggest deal is the median sold price in all five of those neighborhoods is over two million dollars. But those are the neighborhoods either in central Toronto or uh, in Oakville, or there's actually one that continues to be uh, in York region, which is uh, the King region or King City. Uh, those are the ones where uh, the inventory is lagging a little bit longer, and uh, the offers that are being accepted are coming in at lower than the asking price.
1: What types of homes did your analysis compare?
5: So we looked at all types of homes. Uh, Our analysis uh, looks at uh, primarily condos versus non-condos. When we look at, for instance, just the only the condos section rather than the overall market, in that case, only 38% of the neighbourhoods were overbid last month compared to 40% in May, so the condo market is more stable. Uh, I'm not going to say based on this that uh, that means you're going to get a deal in a condo, but the bidding frenzy uh, that is affecting the non-condo market is, is a little bit less intense in the condo market. Traditionally, as we get deeper into
4: the summer months and, and people have already purchased their homes, we start to see bidding wars dissipate. Is that what your survey finds as well? Is it, did you see that in previous years? And is that what you anticipate moving through July and August?
5: Uh, I certainly expect the summer, as usual, to be a little bit more moderate in terms of activity. That being said, in the first couple weeks of July, we're still seeing fairly robust activity. We're still seeing uh, new listings coming to market, and we're seeing deals happening. I don't think it's at the frenzy of May and June, but there's definitely activity in the Toronto market.
1: Do you have any advice for our listeners?
5: I think the advice is to uh, not get caught up in list prices, but actually to do your homework and find true value, Um, estimate what you think the house is actually worth, look at the comparables of, there's lots of uh, sites out there that have comparables of other similar houses that have sold in the last three months or six months, or you can even go back a little further if there's nothing exactly the same. Uh, And do the due diligence to say, this is what I actually think it is worth, and base your offer strategy on that. Uh, And that way you avoid getting caught up in the frenzy of a bidding war and having buyers regret and overpaying. But also, uh, in some cases, even if there are several people at the table bidding, uh, you know that when you put your price out there and you win it, you're paying what you think it's actually worth because other people have paid the same amount for something similar. That would be the biggest advice I would give.
4: And that's where the realtor really comes in, because you're right. There's so many different types of pricing strategies out there. And the majority of the price changes we're seeing are people going up in price because they didn't get the price that they wanted. So uh, definitely a change in that trend. Benji, if our listeners want to
5: read the full survey, where can they find it? So they can find it. On our website, WAHI.com. It's spelled W-A-H-I dot com. Bench, thanks so much for joining us again. and We look forward to having you on in the future. My pleasure. Thank you, Tina. Thank you.
1: When we come back, your real estate questions. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region.
1: Welcome back to On the Market. Your questions for Asif Khan are next. And Julie from Maple wants to know, if you think condos are still a good investment... There was a report recently that more than half of investors in newly completed GTA condos were losing money on their rental properties. Is it possible for rent to cover the mortgage, maintenance fees, and property taxes? Asif, what do you think?
4: Well, that's a great question, and yes, certainly it is possible. It just depends on where the unit is, what type of amenities it has, uh, and obviously what the maintenance fees are. If it's an older building, the maintenance fees are quite uh, you know high right now so and that's been the case for many many years that the older the building the higher the maintenance fees because they may also cover utilities as well uh, so it depends on what you can charge in that condo building usually the rule of thumb is make sure your maintenance fees are covered and your mortgage is covered and you may be putting in a few hundred dollars a month for property tax but you're gaining that in appreciation so it, it just depends on where your condo is located what the going rent is and it It also depends on how much you have outstanding on your mortgage because, yeah, the flip side is some of the older condos, they may have been purchased by investors a long time ago, so their mortgage payments are a lot less, whereas the newer condos, even if it's, a seven or $800,000 condo and someone's put down 20%, that's a pretty steep mortgage to have right now. And with interest rates, if you're on a variable, your expenses have gone up a lot. If you're on a fixed, it doesn't really bother you as much. But if you're on a variable, it's going to be hard to make sure that you're getting the rental money out of it.
1: How would you compare the condo market here in York Region uh, compared to downtown Toronto or somewhere else in four one six?
4: The rents in the 416 are obviously a lot higher than they are in the, the 905. So you, you have a better shot at being able to recover your expenses through rent in the 416 than you do in the 905.
1: And is there an average price in terms of maintenance fees for a one-bedroom condo compared to maybe something a bit larger? Or does it depend on amenities?
4: It goes goes by amenities, it also goes by if the condo building has a pool, that's the biggest strain and the biggest strain on maintenance fees if you have 24-hour security in the building that's another strain on maintenance fees so it really when you're looking at these buildings although those may be very attractive to have you may want to consider if it's an investment that you focus on buildings that don't have those because then you know the maintenance fees aren't going to be affected as much and it goes by square footage so the larger square footage you have the more maintenance you're going to pay. And it also depends on if you have a balcony, a larger balcony, a parking spot, because most buildings will charge you for the square footage of those as well uh, in terms of adding to your maintenance fees.
1: Now, while this listener's question was about an investment, do you also still think that the condo market is a great way for first-time buyers to get into the market?
4: It really is because of affordability. But what you have to take into consideration is you're not just applying for the amount that the condo is worth. So if it's a six hundred dollars or $700,000 condo, your mortgage is based on the payment of that plus the maintenance fee. So when you're qualifying, the bank is going to ask you exactly what the maintenance fees are, what the taxes are, and they're going to qualify you based on you being able to service that debt uh, as a total.
1: Asif, the next question is also about vertical housing. Josh from Markham is purchasing a condo, but it does not include a parking spot. In your experience, does this decrease or impact the resale value of this property? In
4: the past, yes. It has uh, certainly decreased the value or or the desirability of of purchasing that condo in, in a resale situation. However, now... Condos aren't even building the the number of parking spots for units they have because a lot of people don't have parking spots. Some condo buildings will also offer a a zip car service where you can rent it for the day. So there's a lot more, because of transit being a little bit better right now, there's a lot more opportunity for people to purchase a condo without a parking spot when when, when they are getting into the game. And also the desirability hasn't gone down as much, uh, especially in the downtown core, because everyone relies on transit. And, and even people that do have a parking spot, sometimes they end up renting it out to someone else in the building because their tenant doesn't have a car. So it's a little bit different than it was back in the day, but it certainly does add value if you do have a parking spot.
1: So it sounds like it depends on where your condo is located.
4: It really does. If you're going to be uh, deep into the 905 where people will rely on a car, then you're going to want to have a parking spot. But in the 416, a lot of people purchase condos from the builders without a parking spot. And, and parking spots are expensive now. It's not the uh, 25 or $35,000 outlay that you have when you're purchasing a condo. Some parking spots could go as high as 100 or
1: $120,000. Are you kidding? No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's that's shocking, I was you know, what
4: in Alberta. Yeah. And, yeah, I was speaking to someone in Alberta and they said, uh, you know, you can get a condo for about $150,000. I said, there's some parking spots that rival that in Toronto and they were blown away.
1: And what is the reaction then, you know, because I'm shocked by that number, but I'm sure your clients must be in the same boat thinking, I can't believe that a parking spot for six figures.
4: Yeah, and you know the the average right now, I think in Toronto would probably be about seventy-five or eighty thousand dollars for a parking spot. So uh, the higher-end buildings are commanding a hundred thousand. I know there's one building that was one hundred and twenty thousand, but other than that, even in the nine hundred five, you would be able to get a parking spot for twenty-five or thirty-five thousand. And now we're up to about sixty or sixty-five thousand in the nine hundred five. So it's uh, it's creeping up there. Uh, they know that they're trying to keep their uh, prices down for the condos but if people want to purchase upgrades or parking spots that's where they're getting some extra money.
1: As a reminder if you have questions for on the market send your email to info at 1059theregion.com but Osif the best way for our listeners to contact and follow you on social media these days?
4: They can get me on Twitter at Remax All Star or they can text me at 416-985-5426.
1: If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez. Thank you for listening.